and it not even being okay to travel. Um, a lot of those companies are now sending me information, and it's called armchair traveling or something. And so they send you videos and clips of places you can go. It's kind of like a National Geographic, but it's like little clips of different places. Oh, I thought they send your armchair somewhere. Ha 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 ha! That is so corny. That's so corny. I'm sorry. But you deserve better than that. <laughs> the poor guy on the ledge. He's really jumping. <laughs> Are you the type of person that listens in on other people's conversations in restaurants? Are you a nosy son of a gun with nothing else to do? Are you out walking your dog looking for an interesting conversation? Are you standing on the ledge of a building ready to jump, wondering what life is all about? Well, you've come to the right place. Subscribe to Chat Buffet on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. Chat Buffet, the podcast for arbitrary thoughts and everyday observations. Hello. Hi, Joe. Hi, Asha. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Chat Buffet. So, Joe, I was just reading this study, and at first I just looked at the title, and I said, well, of course. And the title was something about the difference between men and women. Well, of course men and women are different. But it went on to say something more about how depression is expressed between men and women. Hmm. And I thought depression, that would just be like, a general thing. I would never have thought that that would be different between men and women. But they said they actually studied the brain tissue of dead people with and without depression. You know, being dead would make me depressed. <laughs> that kind of would do it, wouldn't it? Yeah. And you don't even have a science degree. Dang. That's right. You are, you are genius. This is called barbershop intelligence. <laughs> kind of thing you sit around and... You mean you didn't get a degree from Princeton University with, you know, MS this and PhD that and... Well, the day is young, but no. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> and I imagine it's been a while since you've been to the barber shop also. <laughs> what are you implying? <laughs> oh, nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. <laughs> but so, yeah, of course, when you look at a title like that, you say, of course, there's going to be a difference. But maybe that difference would not have translated into certain things. And the implication of this difference is, if you think that certain things like, like let's say depression, and there's tons of medications that are out for depression, mm -hmm. if you didn't realize that men and women might express that differently, you might come out with medications that are generic. If the sampling of doing that medication was only done on men, then you might not have realized that women would react to that medication that was developed differently. So going back to your original point, did they do a study and found a physiological difference between men and women who were depressed? Yes. They had to normalize it. They had to figure out with and without depression, what's the differences, the difference between how men express it and the way women express it. And if it's a change in the molecular structure, then right. that's what needs to be addressed, right? And the solution to that. Right. But if men and, and women are different and you didn't, your sample didn't include a diverse population, and if you only developed it based on the molecular structure of a man versus a woman, then you might not be addressing the problem in its true form for everybody. Or maybe mm. there needs to be different medications for men and women, and not just men and women, but have a different ethnic groups. Hmm. You know, is there a difference in that? That's touchy. You can't really look into that these days. Uh, I don't know, but how would you address it then? Because uh, let's say research 
I don't know this to be a fact, but I think a lot of research is done right here in, in America, in the United States. Mm -hmm. So, so then are the sample people that they're doing the research on just only Americans or people that live in this country? Or do they, right. they, do they actively try to get people from different ethnicities or different backgrounds I, or different genders or different ages? You know, I, I happen to know somebody who works in the pharmaceutical industry. I've got to ask her about that. And I think unless there's a, uh, something that is obviously pointing to a difference genetically from one race to another, I think it'd be difficult to actually study genetic differences amongst races in anything, in, in uh, depression, in, um, uh, in, in any... So you're actually proving the point that the study is saying is that you'd need to do uh, a pre-study to see if there are differences, whether it's a, a gender difference or a ethnicity difference or an age difference. I don't know. There's multiple categories in how you segment the population, but there's also multiple categories in the problem that you're trying trying to solve like depression was one example and that's what right. they focused on but it could be anything it could be anything else that you would take medication for maybe you take medication for a headache i'm just going to make up something maybe how how best to treat someone like you uh, at your age category of your ethnicity of your gender is different than how it would be for me I know right. growing up, this is not a, a scientific study or whatever. I, maybe it's not even related, but I know because I'm smaller, I'm not that big. There's certain medications that are based primarily on size. So sure. if I took an adult dose, especially like I'm, I'm talking about when I was back in my like 20s. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm still an adult. So if I took an adult dose, that would be way too much for me. Oh. So for the longest time, I continued to just take children's size dosages. Yeah. I mean, if it was like a liquid thing, like a cough syrup, I could just take a little less or something. But if it was a, a pill, then take take a half dose or have, take a child dose. So into college, you were taking children's aspirin, for instance. Yeah, like a Tylenol or something like that. Or I would just know that it was going to affect me differently. Right. And they actually allow you to take two at a time. And I would normally not do that. Yeah. Or, I or taking like the extra strength, you know. Yeah, whereas I take two of everything. Oh, and, do you? Generally speaking, pain relief, I, I, I clock in at uh, 245 pounds, 240 pounds these days. If they don't specifically say, don't take more than one, then I'll take two. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Has so little it's effect. A, it's the same thing as you taking two, as me taking half. Right. Because it's made probably for a general population at a certain range. But anyway, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, topic. I, I just want to know. Did they actually cut open brains and yes. they were testing chemicals like serotonin, for instance? They, yeah, they or? used they used um, brain tissue from dead people. Right, and they with were the, with their permission, people with and without depression. Yeah, and it, it's it's hard to get permission from live people, but <laughs> the uh, so it was it was mainly a chemical difference, not a physiological difference. Absolutely. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting study. Yeah. So I just wanted to bring up that study, which I thought was very interesting, because obviously there's differences between men and women, but Viva never... la différence. <laughs> That's right. Viva la différence. And based on that, let's go on to the next topic. Okay. <laughs> I just think it's interesting that now corporations are making changes based on current day acceptance of various hot topics, I should say. I'll take a, a more 
a general thing. A while ago, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and you and I are old enough to remember when it was called Kentucky Fried Chicken, which is, it is actually not anymore. It's just called KFC. They wanted to take away the refer reference to fried. Oh, so man. they just changed it to KFC, and oh. they don't actually have the word Kentucky Fried Chicken anywhere. And then now recently, uh, Aunt Jemima has rebranded to eliminate any kind of racial stereotyping. Well, it's um, not even Aunt Jemima anymore. I, I, I don't know what they're going to call it, but uh, they're doing away with the character altogether. Right, 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 right. Along right. with Uncle Ben. So it's just curious to me, do corporations, do you think that they have an obligation to address these changing political beliefs? And let me just, let me just add a little caveat to that. Even though you're a corporation, what you represent affects whether people will actually buy your product. So I think millennials definitely, they buy based on their political belief. So if it comes out in the news that the CEO of XYZ business was engaging in something that was illegal, whatever that illegal illegality might have been, the new generation, they'll say, you know what, I don't like what that guy did. I'm not going to support that company. I'm never going to buy from that business, whether it's a fast food place, whether it's an actual clothing store, whatever it might be. They don't want to support that. And I think that's honorable, actually. And I think very, very few people make a decision on what product they're going to buy based on whether or not the CEO is a philanderer or a drug addict or, or, or some for, for the most part because it's not what the company is about, generally speaking. If that, if that CEO is taking profits from that company and funneling it into terrorist organizations, well, that's certainly cut and dry. I think it's a very vocal minority that doesn't like the fact that the uh, Atlanta base baseball team was the Braves or, or the Kansas City football team was the Chiefs or the fact that Aunt Jemima looked like she's uh, a mammy from the 1800s, or the fact that my favorite brand of butter, uh, whose name escapes me right now, but the one that had the Indian lady on the front holding, uh, holding the, the butter. The Lando Lakes. Lando Lakes. There's no Indian on there anymore. And I think she was an honorable, respectful character. There was nothing wrong with that. But we're so hypersensitive. I think it's a very vocal minority that gets offended at the drop of a hat that makes these decisions. And, and CEOs, boards are just so hypersensitive to their bottom line that they'll cave at the slightest pressure, incorrectly, Joe, I think. I would challenge you to have the same conversation with your daughter, with anybody else of her age, and ask them the same question. I think they're a lot more aware of issues on the news and there's so much media out there that's reporting on ups and downs of various businesses and the people that represent those businesses. Millennials will act on their belief system if they think that a person that represents that corporation is acting inappropriately. It's not just that they acted inappropriately. It's what the business did about that situation. If they found that someone acted inappropriately and fired them, then maybe there would not be that backlash. But if that CEO or the, the head of that organization was able to keep their position with no retribution, with no apology, or maybe the apology was weak, then I think 
people do react to that. I'll ask my daughter, if you ask your son, if it would make any difference to him at all, what brand of syrup he puts on his pancakes, depending on who was on the label. And I guarantee you that my daughter hates corn syrup. She'd rather have like real maple syrup anyway, but it probably wouldn't make a bit of difference to her. I'd like to think so anyway. So the Aunt Jemima is one example that we, we're using, but the other example is where a corporation representative has done something wrong. And I will tell you, I don't have to ask them because we've already had this conversation. And they are more diligent to say that they are not going to support something that an executive did something wrong or expressed a wrong belief about. And I will say to the extent that uh, it was a fast food place who the CEO did something or said something that was not representative of their values. Even though they love the place, my one son has not eaten in that place in probably 10 years. Yeah, it's funny. I can think of one company who I have stopped using. And I wasn't wild about them anyway, but I use them occasionally as I, as I stop by the side of the road because a company made a public decision that was entirely political and caved to a very vocal minority. Henceforth, I will never spend another dollar with this company again. So then you do fall in that category. That's the category I'm talking about. Whatever that belief might have been, they did something that was against your fundamental value. So you changed your view of that business enough to this is your way it, of protesting. It, but no, no, but it was kind of a backlash because they caved under under this. It doesn't uh, matter whether whether it was because they caved or whether it was because of what they did initially. The the point is you're judging them based on their actions. Well, it was it was a corporate decision. OK, as well, opposed as opposed to at any given point, there are boycotts going on all the time, all over the place and mainly against the actions of a CEO or, or, or chairman of the board because he supports one political candidate over the other. There's a backlash against that and, and people are voicing boycotts. And I can think of one of them is Goya Foods, for instance. Yeah, Chicken no, but, but my point is it's not always even political. Like, let's say there's a company that's not treating their employees well. And in like the Apple, of for instance? In the time of COVID, there's businesses that are definitely, you know, I wouldn't say taking advantage of their employees, but maybe not compensating them appropriately for the additional risk that they have to take during, okay. during this virus. Mm -hmm. You know, how strongly do you feel that that's a human rights violation or a violation of some other ethical level that you have that they're not meeting? And you say, well, if that's what they're going to do to their employees, then I'm not going to support that company or business. And it could be big, small. It could be your neighborhood uh, local business. It could be a national chain. It doesn't matter, but you can make your political statement mm -hmm. using your buying power. Right. I, and I think uh, largely it's almost impossible to follow to a T. Generally speaking, you can, I would rather buy American if I could, if, it, if there was a comparable and competitive product out there. Okay, uh, then, that's, then, that's then right in line wasn't. with what I'm asking. Basically, you're making a value judgment uh, right. based on something that you believe in and you want to make sure that financially the business, the money, the economy is being promoted in, in the United States. That, but there's, that's no way, there's no way for me to know with any degree of certainty that a product made in China wasn't actually made by North Korean prisoners of war. can only take that so far. 
and but that's uh, okay. You're you're doing it based on some judgment, some research that you've done. For example, you know, you would have thought that General Motors, Ford, all those American type of companies for auto dealers were made here in America. Well, there was a time of transition between 80s, 90s, the 2000s. It turned out that more of a Subaru was made in America than that of a Ford. I'm just using examples. I don't remember if those were the right. two companies. Right. On face value, you wouldn't have known that until you did the research. You would have thought, oh, Ford, it's an American company. I'll buy from them because it's an American company. Well, in reality, maybe Subaru was not maybe it was it was some company. There was an mm -hmm. analogy that was similar to that. You yeah. would have been better off buying a Subaru because more of its parts and labor was um, here right here in the United States. Right. So Similarly, it's a tricky situation, I guess, yeah. is my point. So it, and it's hard to monitor all the way down. It's nice to have certain guidelines, certain ethics when you consume. I, I don't let it dictate my buying decisions. Mm. Mm. Generally, okay. I, I, okay. I, I, but I do think that there's a lot of millennials and other people that do let it dictate and will stand by their values to say, I will or will not support a, a company, an organization, uh, a business, whatever mm -hmm. it might be. But moving on to another topic. Uh -huh. okay. <laughs> um, so when I got married and I found out I was pregnant and I was going to be a mom, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I've never been a mom before. How is that going to be? And am I going to be a good mom? And, you know, there's just the anxiety that's built up before mm -hmm. you, that even happens about whether you're going to be a good this or a good that, you know, mm -hmm. a good, good parent, good father, good mother, a good role model. It's kind of hard to know. So what were your thoughts like when you knew you were going to be a father? Like, did you immediately start like picking up books or how did you well, go about that? About child rearing, yeah, um, I, I read a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly when I when I first got a dog, I wanted to make sure I was prepared for that. I, I read <laughs> a good number of uh, books on that. To a certain extent, there there are questions about what would be the best way to teach a child different aspects of life, and I, I you develop a sense of philosophy, a, a sense of ethics. I began to to explore religion. Actually, something I was never really active in. Uh, before that. And mainly, I wanted to be the best possible parent, but the best possible person for my daughter. I wanted to be better than I was. And so I, I examined my personality, uh, I held it up to the light, and I, I saw some flaws that, that I actively worked towards getting rid of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So my approach has always been, you know, try and read about something, trying to go to the library. But when you're pregnant, you know, the, the standard book everyone buys is what to expect when you're expecting. So you buy that book and you start reading through it and it goes pretty much month to month on your nine mm -hmm. months of pregnancy. And then, of course, there's um, follow up books that came, came out about, you know, how to raise a toddler, blah, 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 each age group and range. Um, but that only tells you so much. And that's right. just more like the physiological, maybe some of the expectations. But I think the real growth came actually after they were born. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're talking about exploring religion. That means basically to me that you were being more philosophical about your role as a human being, as a parent, as a person that has a child that you're going to be caring for. You know, there, there's that childhood phase. But then now, you know, we're getting older. So maybe there's this thing about, are you going to be a good father-in-law to somebody or, you know, so that's like the next level. So everyone has role models and did you have a role model or did you just read or, 
Did you have friends? Like I do think about certain friends that I have and I watch them in their relationship, whether how they're acting with their spouse, how they are with their children. If you have the pleasure of watching that unfold. It's funny. I just had this conversation with my daughter the other day. We were talking about when her mom and I divorced. I was mentioning to her that there was always kind of a, I was always torn between not living in really what was not a great relationship, demonstrating that perhaps this was the normal for marriage. And, and uh, I didn't want her to think that this is mm -hmm. what it should be mm -hmm. versus uh, balancing the other side out and wanting to be involved in her life every day. So you really put a lot of thought into it and you had a conversation with her. So you never stop being a parent and no. you never stop, you know, wanting to be a better person for them. Mm -hmm. But there's, there's, I guess, different phases. You know, I guess this is a real thing that people are, are having a fear about. I thought it was interesting that the article actually used the word fear, like fear of being a mother-in-law, fear of being a bad mother or father. It might have been in like some kind of like psychology book or something that I was reading. They're starting to analyze where this fear is coming from. Maybe it was something that was there all along, but now they're putting a name and a feeling to it. I think so. I remember telling my ex-wife, we had bought uh, our daughter her first pair of real shoes. Mm -hmm. And we were sold a bill of goods by a shysty uh, shoe salesman. And they were, they were clod hoppers. They were, they were big, heavy shoes. And, they were, and, and, and she kind of like just clopped on the, uh, on the, on the floor like a horse every, <laughs> with every step she took. Uh -huh. And they were an effort for her to lift up her legs. I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, this doesn't seem right. And, she, and they, well, the, the child's... <laughs> the baby's foot needs support, especially when she and, and we took we went to a second uh, shoe store a couple of streets down and the guy says, where'd you buy this from? <laughs> said, Take them back. I'm going to call him up right now. We, we don't we don't sell shoes like this. Oh, my he gosh. Will, yeah. And they took them back. No problem. And instead wow. we, got her, we got her a pair of sneakers and she just ran around the house silently. Wow. And, and uh, her mom was beset with guilt about not knowing that. Oh. And I said, the, 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 the words I answered that with uh, were kind of my philosophy on, on child rearing. The kid didn't come with a manual. And so we just have to use common sense right. and a little trial and error as right. we go along. Right. That was nice of you to verbalize that and say it and put it that way because uh, you know as a parent, I know as a parent, there's often things that either that you've said or that you've done, the experience where you, you, you know you did something wrong. <laughs> sure. And you're like, how did I not know that? Or how, you know, how did I let that happen? Or why didn't I think differently? Or why didn't I put my foot down about something? Because, because we're human beings and we make mistakes. Yeah, and as parents or as human beings, like you said, you get opinions from everybody. Yeah. And it could be the most well-intentioned neighbor, friend, relative, whoever. But maybe it just doesn't apply to you and your family and your situation and your child. Right. Absolutely. Children, parents, they run the breath of, of the human existence. And right. there they're, they're are good parents, there are bad parents. Uh, one, the only consistent thing amongst them all is that they all have an opinion. <laughs> um, our friend, our close friend Peggy, had once told me that. She said, here's a piece of advice. You'll, you will be getting advice from everybody when you have a child. She goes, whatever they say, she said, smile and nod. 
<laughs> and do whatever you feel like doing. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. I like that one too. Yeah. She's full of a lot of good advice pieces like that's, that. There's wisdom there. There is wisdom, not just for child rearing, for anything in life. That's right. <laughs> so that's next right. time you're talking to Peggy, if she smiles and nods, <laughs> we're like, okay, oh, I no. think I got your number. I got your number. So I have another question for you. Do you know what a Southpaw is? Sure. I used to box a lot of them. Ah, there you go, Mr. Boxers. Yeah, it's a boxing term. Well, I'm yeah. a lefty. I'm a lefty. And a lot of people don't even realize I'm a lefty. It's, I think it's funny because, as I mentioned to you, I play tennis. And um, I can go through like a half an hour or even an hour of playing. And my opponent will say something like, oh, I didn't even realize you were a lefty. Uh -huh. <laughs> Which is yeah. very important when you're playing because you're, you're paying attention to their backhand forehand. Right. Um, but there's so many things that a lefty experiences in life because it's a righty world. Mm -hmm. there's, sure. there's simple things. There's more complicated things. Simple things might be like using a scissors. When I was in grade school, they would hand out everyone's scissors, and I couldn't use them until they came out with those lefty scissors. Wow. The, the scissors just didn't cut. Spiral notebooks. The spiral on the spiral notebook is on the side where I would put my hand. So, so if it really annoyed me, I would actually turn my spiral notebook you, upside down and backwards. <laughs> or right on the other, on the back side of, on the, back of the paper. Side. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. That's turn it around so the spiral is on the other side. So you flip this way. So your hand's not doing it. And actually, even the process of writing, if you're a righty, you're, you're writing from left to right. So you're mm -hmm. watching what you're writing. You can see what you're writing. If you're a lefty, your hand is moving over the words you just wrote. Writing you're smudging a, your words and, and you have ink on your finger. <laughs> All down the side right here. <laughs> I bet you do. Yeah, yes, you do. So then you I was, uh, you, you, you know, I, I found out that I have uh, a couple of brothers about a year and a half ago that uh -huh. I didn't know about. And I've been playing in a band with them ever since. And about, I would say, Six months after I met them, and after I've been playing with them, I show up at one of their houses, and we're all, we're all there, and I bring along a little travel guitar, and I proudly give it to Paul. I say, yeah, give it a try. He says, I can't do it. I'm a lefty. Really? <laughs> I, and in fact, yes, his guitar is on the other side. He's, he's fingering with his right hand and strumming with his left hand. I did, so I, you I never noticed, noticed it. that? Wow. No, no. Wow. And I find you a very observant person. So we just had that conversation where I'd say you're very observant, observant about everything. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, here you have noticed that. That's funny. And uh, on other things, I'm just dim-witted. <laughs> no, you're not dim-witted. <laughs> you're you're funny-witted. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're witty-witted. <laughs> <laughs> well, the study said that 10 to 13% of the world genetically is lefty. That's interesting. I would yeah. have thought it was, uh, I'd heard it was one out of 10, but that's, that's a little yeah, higher that's than about I thought. Right. Yeah, a little bit right around right. there. But uh, just as an FYI, last August 13th was Lefty Day. August 13th is Lefty Day. Did you even know there was a Lefty Day? I didn't How send you can... flowers. Joe, geez, what kind of friend are you? <laughs> My mother, when I was a kid, tried to switch me to Lefty. Why? I, I, just because she liked tormenting me. She kept I thought it was just the opposite. My parents tried to switch me to righty. Well, <laughs> really? No, really. I'm not making that up. To what end? 
Um, well, I shouldn't say my parents, but my teachers did because they kept taking oh. the pen out of my left hand and sticking it in my right hand. Right. But that was generation, a generation ago, whatever you want to say. They wouldn't do that now, a teacher. Right. That not only would they, you. not only would they actually physically remove the pen from the one hand and put it in the other hand. As a lefty, you know, sometimes they they turn their wrist in, and mm -hmm. so the paper that they're writing on is not vertical to them; it's horizontal to them. They didn't like that, so I had another teacher that every time she walked by my desk, she, as she walked by, she would turn the paper. Wow. Yeah, and then uh, I would be, I'd be like this, like, I can't write that way. <laughs> I'm so glad teachers are far more enlightened than they used to be. Yeah, well, you know, those are the old days. <laughs> when I was in, in kindergarten, we were learning our numbers. Might have been first grade. There was one kid who wasn't getting it and was writing his sixes backwards. Mm -hmm. Now, we know exactly what that is today. But the back then, they didn't have a name for it. They didn't. Yes. It, she, the teacher was just exasperated with this kid. Somehow thought he was being not attentive or or just bad. And she marched him up. She put a piece of chalk in his hand, and she grabbed his wrist, and she she had him drawing these huge sixes this way, this way, and on the top of the six that were four feet high, was lifting his his feet off the it, ground. Oh my god! And the kid, the kid was probably. Uh, oh. uh, just, just damaged for life at that yeah. point, thinking sure. he was a dope. Sure. Now, of course, he and, was dyslexic. And here's the thing: it didn't even happen to you, and you remembered it. So, can you I imagine the that. right? So, imagine the effect on that kid. I felt hard. And you know what? The here's kid. the thing: maybe he wasn't even dyslexic, but as a kid, they a lot of kids, in fact, write their B's and D's the incorrect way or sixes is another good example of that mm -hmm. uh, where it's kind of like the mirror image but it's just something that they grow out of some people do and some people actually do have dyslexia but it's right. a common thing it's a common right. thing well like i said uh, I'm, I'm glad teachers are far more enlightened than they used to be thank goodness right yeah thank goodness hey um that was kind of an interesting topic over there and but i got to tell you that there are actually times when it does help though being a lefty Two situations is tennis having a lefty curve and okay. bowling. You have a, a lefty spin on it. So How is that I'll just better? throw that out there. I don't know. I don't know why righties don't have it. But um, so when you throw a, a bowling ball, the lefty spin has it like slide down the edge and then curve in at the end the way the pros do it. And well, I don't I'm, know that I'm, I'm not wait, I'm certainly not wait. a pro. No, no. So uh, one thing I'll give you is uh, whether you're lefty or righty, you can have a curve going at the same angle. Right. The alleys themselves are oiled. It helps the, helps the mm -hmm. ball tracking and, and roll and everything. And right. you would have, you would be bowling on a side that is very, it's used far less. So it would be nicely oiled there and you'd have a, a truer roll. than A it, truer roll. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, okay. But if you want to go bowling sometime, that's... Uh, Let's go bowling sometime. I don't know I'd if love it's to. even available at all, but... <laughs> I rolled, I went with Cora, uh, my stepdaughter, about two or three months ago, and I, and I had never bowled any higher all of my life than a 172, uh -huh. and my average back when I was in a league was 133 or something, Okay. because, because the balls were too small for me, oh. and, I, and the rented shoes were a size 13 and I have a size 15 foot. So I was walking up like a, a little, a little, uh, I don't know. The, a geisha. The, what the Chinese women. <laughs> like had a their, geisha. Yeah, no, the, with, the, with the, the Chinese women that had their toes, their feet bound and everything. <laughs> right, 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 right. Chop, chop. Uh, 
but around here, I, 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 I found a place that had a reasonable size ball and shoes in my size. And I bowled a 204 <gasps> when I, I, and I wow. hadn't touched the ball. I hadn't touched, I hadn't gone bowling in years. Wow. Wow. Yeah, Did I ever tell out. you this story? So I, I used to bowl, I wouldn't say regularly, but you know, quite at least several times a year. Okay. And um, I had decided to go, we had decided to go bowling. And this was a, with a group of friends that I'd never been bowling with. We were just going to be hanging out. Let's do mm -hmm. something fun. Well, let's go bowling. Okay. So we go bowling and it was like six of us. So we formed teams okay. and I'm bowling. They've never seen me bowl before. I hadn't bowled in a little while. I don't know what it was about that day. Or like you said, maybe the shoes I had on or the bowling ball I found. Okay. This is crazy. But it's true. And I remember the number. I bowled a 276. No. Yes. 276. That is nowhere near my average, nowhere near anything. It was like the freakiest thing. I felt like everything I was bowling was so a strike. you threw like 10 or 11 strikes? Yes. That's exactly right. To get wow. a 276, you have 10, 11, 12. 12, 12 throws. And 11 wow. of those throws must have been a strike. Uh, to get that because you have 10 frames right yeah, and 10, then add 11, the 10th frame yeah, you yeah get, that's right two more yeah that's right wow yeah, that's where you get that yep i know it was crazy absolutely crazy and there were witnesses who swear they were and they thought i was like a pro bowler that i was like lying to them that i hadn't been bowling in a long time or whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a crazy fun experience i'm like yeah yeah i know i do that all the time i'm perfect i wish i could have seen it <laughs> me with an eight pound ball. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always there looking for like the lightest weight ball. Oh, well. Anyway. Hey, I have another question for you in this time of uh, quarantining. Mm -hmm. um, I am actually on a mailer list for some travel agencies that I've done business with in the past. You know, I've mm -hmm. uh, traveled and then they put you on their mailing list and they give you information about new destinations and the programs that they have and all these exciting things. Well, now with fewer people traveling and it not even being okay to travel, um, a lot of those companies are now sending me information and it's called quote unquote armchair traveling or something. And so they send you videos and clips of places you can go and they do, it's kind of like a national geographic, but it's like little clips of different places. Oh, I thought they send your armchair somewhere. Ha 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 ha. That is so corny. That's so corny. I'm sorry. But you I'm deserve sorry. better than that. Oh, the, so poor, it, the poor guy on the ledge. He's really jumping. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. So I had seen it in the very beginning of the virus back in March, you know, maybe not in February, but in March, where museums were sending out information oh. because they had a bunch of students that were not able to go to school. They wanted to keep the options for uh, education out and alive. So mm -hmm. a lot of museums were providing free tours of their museum. Virtual tours. Virtual tours, yes. Right. So whether it be a museum, a destination, um, a documentary about a, a specific topic, but everything that probably used to cost something mm -hmm. to be able to access, they were deciding to provide it for free. Now, so you're looking at an image on a computer screen. Right. And it's probably, if you're doing it via Zoom or Skype or something like that, it's going to be a relatively low resolution image. 
as no, compared to so. you're not doing it on zoom they have a video already kind of like when you're watching tv uh they've already pre-recorded this i don't think you can control like suppose you were in a museum uh -huh. you can't say like turn left and go to this uh, exhibit a oh you know well, no that would it's, be it's nice actually but even with right? that you, you know how you do google earth and yeah, if you yeah. do a street view you can actually mm -hmm. go through Zoom the in. different that's right right, right. as though you're actually driving a car yep. down the street and you can look right. right or left at that point right. i thought maybe it was something like that if you wanted to see the mona lisa you can just pull down a high resolution image of it but then it would only be an image. So what this would probably be is more of you feel like you're in the room. So they might be panning in and out. They might be doing like a, a 360 around the room. They might tell you something about the Mona Lisa as they get to that point. And mm -hmm. then different paintings around. Maybe you can I, fast forward. I didn't actually ever click on them, but I did think that it was interesting because I know be when I was, <laughs> I can't, I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> I'm, I'm already too knowledgeable. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like I lived in North Jersey and in New York. So our field trips were to like the Met, the natural history museum in New York city, you know, yeah. places like that, that are very significant and very mm -hmm. robust in what they have. Yeah. Uh, imagine if they had like the, and I've seen this too, when the King Tut exhibit came to the United States. Well, you make a family day out of it. You, uh, you know, travel to the location, you buy the tickets, you walk around, it's all crowded. Well, now you can see it online and it's just like being in the museum, but you're seeing it on a screen. And you would pay for that or, or it'd be free? I think a lot of the things that were coming out at the time were free. Yeah. Um, the things that I get through my travel agent are all definitely free. I would not pay for any of that stuff, but maybe if it was, if I had kids that were younger and we were doing a project, let's say on King Tut and that happened to be available, but it was for a charge. Yeah. I guess I would have paid for it. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Did you ever, uh, put on a, a pair of virtual reality goggles? Oh, not like just 3d, but the actual virtual reality ones. That's right. I don't think I have. It's inc an incredible experience. I, I've had them on in my old industry, uh -huh. and uh, you could be in the middle of an office, you put these things on, and all of a sudden, you're 50 feet below the surface of the ocean, and there are hammerhead sharks swimming all around you. Oh my gosh. And, and you look to the left, and there's one here, you look to the right, and there's another one behind <gasps> you. And that must have been scary as anything. It was disorienting, it was, yeah. re it was uber cool. Oh, uh, I would imagine so. So imagine, you're actually saying as you turn your head, what you see through the glasses changes. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the whole point. You look up and there's a, there's a shark fly, uh, swimming oh. over, over your head. Wow. Uh, it was just really remarkable. And, wow. and that's just one. You could, right. you could, you could do that uh, behind the wheel of a race car. You could, you could be in, in the Grand Canyon mm -hmm. on a helicopter ride, looking all around, taking up the view. You could be at the base of Angel Falls in South America. How cool would that be? That's the kind of thing I would imagine would be a lot of fun to take a tour of, as opposed to the museum experience. I would rather be in, in some, immersed in some other environment that way. Well, obviously, ideally, if you can actually experience it live, that would be the ultimate. But if, you're, if your options were not being able to experience it at all or experience it this way, Right. Uh, you know, for a minor cost or something, then I might say, OK, I know I don't think I'm ever going to get it get to Angel Falls. So maybe I'll opt for doing it the virtual way and be happy with that. I think the future is there for that. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you ought to I try some of those. They're, they're really incredible.
That would be really cool. I would love to try it. Well, Joe. Yes. Another serving of the chat buffet is over for now. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> it was great chatting with you. The pleasure was mine, Asha. Talk to you again soon. Thanks for decompressing with us today. Remember to share the link with your friends and family and talk about these topics amongst yourselves. See you at the next chat buffet, a place where friendly conversation is served up on a regular basis. and it not even being okay to travel. A lot of those companies are now sending me information and it's called armchair traveling or something. And so they send you videos and clips of places you can go. It's kind of like a National Geographic, but it's like little clips of different places. Oh, I thought they send your armchair somewhere. Ha 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 so corny. <laughs> That's so corny, I'm sorry. <laughs> But you I'm deserve fine. better than that. <laughs> the poor guy on the ledge, he's really jumping. <laughs> <laughs>